I think a characteristic that every leader should possess, whether woman or not, and that's what I think we have to change, is just being authentic to who you are. I've definitely seen as a woman in business and being in a male-dominated industry in always being the only woman in rooms full of men that sometimes we feel like we have to fit in into a mold that we're not. And I always like to say, I'm not a man in a skirt. And so I want to be who I am. I want to feel authentic in my leadership, in my style and lean into that versus trying to lean into any sort of masculine energy or needing to be a certain way or talk a certain way. From CEO School, it's Wine Down Wednesday. Pour yourself a drink and join us for CEO Happy Hour as we share the messy behind the scenes, straight talk, and real world advice to help you level up in leadership and life. Cheers. This episode is sponsored by The Club, a quarterly box and digital monthly community to help you level up in leadership and life. Learn more today at join.theceoschool.co slash the club. Hi, everyone. Welcome to CEO School. And for this week's episode, I'm going to do something different because I was just interviewed for a payments podcast by American Express, which was really exciting. And it is a quick 30 minute listen, but I wanted to share it because I thought it was really great. It was a great conversation, a little bit of get to know me as well with some really fun rapid fire questions that they did, as well as just me talking about my journey as a women in payment executive. So I wanted to share this episode with you today on today's episode. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Let me know what you think and I will see you guys at the next episode at CEO School. Welcome to episode 101 of the Leaders in Payments podcast, and more specifically, the second episode in our special Women Leaders in Payments Month. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Greg, and congratulations on passing the 100th episode mark. That's quite a milestone. Oh, thank you so much. Well, first, start off telling us a little bit about Stacks and your current role there, and then we'll just rewind from there and talk about your journey and how you got there. Absolutely. So Stacks is a payment technology company that I founded in 2014. It was formerly known by the name Fat Merchant. So those in the payment industry that are listening in today may recognize us as Fat Merchant, we recently went through an incredible rebrand, which I'm happy to share why a little bit later. But Stacks is a payments platform, and we are just a tech disruptor in fintech, and we offer payments to three different customers. So one, we serve small business, large business, and SaaS companies. And we are direct to our customers, so direct to consumer on the small and large business through our payment platform called Stacks and Stacks Pay, where we do omni-channel payments, just incredible analytics, and just a really robust small business management platform with payments at the heart of it. And further, our technology expands through our API for software partners, SaaS companies in particular, to provide embedded payments, integrated payments, so that they can serve their customers with an all-in-one payments API. So that is what we do. And we started in 2014. We are now doing $10 billion in payments, raised over $100 million in venture capital, We have over 200 employees and we are headquartered in Orlando, Florida. Okay. Well, where did you grow up and what was your life like growing up? 
It was an amazing childhood. I actually have a very unique childhood. My brother and I, who actually run the company together, Sal Ramatula, who is my co-founder, partner, and sibling also. So we actually grew up in Dallas, Texas. We are children of immigrant parents who immigrated separately, but met in America. They immigrated here from Karachi, Pakistan. So they were entrepreneurs out of necessity because education wasn't a privilege that they had. And so we just grew up in an entrepreneurial household where my parents had pretty much every small business imaginable under the sun and that our family as a collective unit operated. And so Sal and I got to experience business firsthand, working together pretty much our whole lives and understanding the pain points of small businesses. And so we've just been part of that journey with our family from a really young age. Sal and I moved a ton because my parents, as I mentioned, were serial entrepreneurs and were on the pursuit of their American dream. And we had many different styles of businesses from restaurants to marketing companies to a nightclub gas station at many points. And it was just a really fun family value-based dynamic where it was always about one team, good values. And so we were always around the dinner table, always together as a family and just learning a good work ethic. So that's kind of how we grew up. And yeah, so for my parents, and as for if there's any immigrant children listening, education is a big part of what they wanted for their children because they obviously didn't get an opportunity to have that. And so entrepreneurship was something that I was actually not in pursuit of. Sal and I both graduated from University of Florida with great honors and finance degrees and was you know ready for corporate America. And after a few years in corporate America, just knew it wasn't the right fit. Then I got recruited by a payments company and learned about the credit card processing industry. And from there, after getting a few years of experience, this crazy idea of the first subscription-based credit card processor came to mind. And that is where Fat Merchant was born in 2014. So that's kind of the journey. Fascinating. So when you were young, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh my goodness. So many things. And this is where I look back and I call myself a multi-passionate CEO. And I kind of have, I do utilize my left and right brain. So as analytical as I am, I'm also extremely creative. So I wanted to be everything. I wanted to be a dentist at some point. I wanted to be a singer and musician at some point. I wanted to be in finance. I wanted to be a marketer. I wanted to be everything. And that is where I learned that I actually, that is my skill set is that I can do a little bit of everything. I'm not in the details as much as I am a true visionary and true, just, I know enough to be dangerous. And that is kind of where that multi-passionate hat of mine comes on board. That's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be everything. I went to school. I ended up graduating with a degree in finance and marketing, which is ironic. Left and right side of the brain for sure. 100%. Yeah. So during high school, were you involved in extracurricular activities? And if so, what were they? Yeah, absolutely. I was definitely involved. I was not into sports. Sal was definitely on every team ever. I also went to three different high schools in four years. So we moved around a ton. So I never really got an opportunity to have a ground base, a home base. And that is one of the reasons why people sometimes ask, like, why Orlando? This is where home was my senior year of high school. I ended up going to UF and came back. And I'm like, I'm never moving again. And so that is one of the reasons why Orlando is home. But 
in high school, I was definitely part of surprisingly like the DECA clubs and the business clubs. And so I did that in high school and throughout UF was also part of more of the entrepreneurial and leadership organizations on campus. Okay. And you mentioned you went to University of Florida and you majored in finance and minored in marketing. So what was that entire college experience like? It was an incredible college experience. Go Gators. I got to experience, I think, three national championships in four years of my college experience. I got to study abroad for six months. I was definitely very involved and utilized my four years to the max. I did have two double majors. So like, as I mentioned, marketing and finance, and I also got a minor in leadership. So I did a ton in school. I think I would have stayed in school forever if I could at UF. And so I had a really great college experience. Awesome. So what was your first job after college? (laughs) Okay. So it was 2009 and there was obviously a major crisis in the nation. And I had every internship, like every summer I had an incredible internship. And when it was time to actually graduate, every single job offer from the internships that I had weren't hiring. They were laying off because of the recession. And I got recruited by a consumer packaged goods company. And it was either this job in territory sales management, which I had no idea what territory sales management was, and or a supply chain engineer, which I had absolutely no engineering background. So those were my two kind of job offers that I had on the table. I decided to choose the consumer packaged goods company. And it was by the name of Philip Morris, actually. So it was a big tobacco company. And they were extremely smart for coming into major universities at that time where they had all these really brilliant graduating top seniors where nobody else were hiring. And so I took the job with Philip Morris and I sold my soul to the devil. And it was was great. It was really great corporate experience. I would say I was there for three years. It was good corporate experience, but it wasn't anything I was passionate about. Obviously the product, I'm not a smoker, nor do I endorse smoking. So it was really hard to work for a company that you're just so not aligned with from a purpose driven perspective. But I do look back at my career and say everything happens for a reason. And I do think that that experience was necessary for me to one, understand big corporate America, understand how to navigate, especially first job out of college and how to navigate having a boss and showing up on time and having a chain of command and just so many things that good corporate positions teach you how to navigate. And so I think that was really great. I also had a really incredible manager who I'm actually still in touch with, who just became a really good mentor of mine, kind of as my first real mentor, I would say. And from Philip Morris, what is funny is I got recruited by the payments company and I thought, okay, this is going to be fantastic because I could finally use, I have sales experience now. I get to pair this with my degree in finance. And Six months into the job, I learned that I hated selling payments more than I hated selling tobacco. And I knew (laughs) there was something wrong. And it was the industry. I mean, it was just been done the exact same way. It was controlled by the banks. I mean, this is back 2012. And so it's almost a decade. And Greg, you know how much the payment industry has evolved in the last decade. And so I got to kind of be part of that story. And I'm just so proud of our industry today and all the disruption and all the tech. And that is kind of how payments found me. And I say, you don't find payments, payments finds you. And so that's how I got into the payments industry. 
Awesome. Well, we're going to dive deeper into that in just a minute. But right now, what I'd like to do is pivot away from this discussion a little bit. And I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions. And I'd like for you, where possible, provide one word answers just to help our audience get to know you a little better. And then we'll jump back into payments, into your career and into leadership and payments. So tell me when you're ready. Ready to go. Okay. What was your least favorite subject in high school? Chemistry. What is your favorite board game? Monopoly deal. It's not a board game, but it is my favorite game. And any CEO listening or any business person, you have to learn to play Monopoly deal. It is so much fun. Okay. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? I already have it. (laughs) I call it the it factor. My dad always told me and my brother that we have it. And it is just this level of confidence, this feeling, this we can accomplish anything and just kind of go for it mentality. And he used to call it our it factor. And so he's in heaven right now, but I have my superpower, which is the it factor. Awesome. Team iOS or team Android? iOS. What is the most used app on your phone? Oh my goodness. That is a tough one. I would say it's Gmail, but I use Superhuman now, which is a really cool email app. So email would be the first one. And then Slack, which is communication would be the next one. And then if you're asking for a fun app, that's not business. It would definitely be Instagram. I have a pretty large Instagram social following. So I like to do a lot of content for women CEOs. So those are my apps. Awesome. If you could time travel, what period would you go to? That's a great question. I would go back to the first thing that comes to mind. This is so strange is Egyptian history. I don't know. I was obsessed with like the Egyptian gods and goddesses when I was a child. So I don't know why that comes to mind. That's a cool answer. Dog or cat? Dog. Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk with animals? Every language in the world. Okay. If there was a movie about your life, who would play you? Hmm. That's a tough one. Jessica Alba comes to mind. She is a incredible female entrepreneur, unicorn in her space. She is also a brown girl and just on a mission to empower women. She happens to also be an actress. So I would pick Jessica Alba to play me. Okay. Vanilla or chocolate? I am so boring. I am so boring. It's vanilla. I am vanilla. (laughs) And I'm actually real vanilla in real life. Like I'm not a flavored, maybe black cherry is like my other flavor. My family's all dark chocolate, but vanilla and black cherry. Okay. All right. Well, that was the 10 questions. That was a lot of fun. I appreciate you doing that. You got me. That was good. (laughs) All right. Well, let's jump back to your career a little bit. And I think you've covered some of this, but maybe tell us a little more about why you decided with your brother to start Stacks or at the time Fat Merchant. You were in the payments industry, but you must have seen something that you wanted to do differently or better or something that drove you to want to start a company as opposed to continue you to work for a company. So could you kind of tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. It was really around transparency for the small business owners. I mean, when I was working in payments, it's just very highly, and it still is very highly commoditized business. And there wasn't a lot of value add for the business itself. And so our journey really started with the small business in mind. And it's definitely evolved. Our story has evolved so much over the last seven years, but it really started with that business owner in mind and with my parents in mind and things that we wish we had. And as a finance and data nerd, 
the transactions flowing through that little black box were just kept in that little black box. And I couldn't understand why we weren't doing anything meaningful with that data. So it was really about one, having a simple pricing model to understand. And that's how we came to market with the subscription-based pricing. We were coined as the Netflix of credit card processing very early on, which really contributed to our success. But what really I think catapulted that was the value-based actually getting meaningful data out of that little black box or that invoicing platform or the QuickBooks and bringing it all together into a single unified place to save that business owner time and actually help them drive better, faster, smarter decisions about their business. Because payments are the heart of every business. Yet every payments company was treating payments as a, was literally transaction only, right? It was just for the commoditization of payments. And so that was really the mission and guiding principle of Fat Merchant, which then evolved to Stacks. And it's still the same premise that's still serving that customer. Now we're 25,000 customers later, we had partners knocking on our door to say, how did you build this incredible platform, this single API that bridges all the which ways that a business accepts payments into that single API? And so then we decided about two years ago to open up our solution and our API to partners and to software companies to do embedded payments because we have a thesis that all software companies are actually payment companies. They just don't know it yet. And so that's really the journey of Stacks and where that came about was we wanted to be a pioneer and to be the payment stack for all organizations. And now positions like chief payment officer is in every single major company. And it didn't exist maybe not even five years ago. And so as we think about things like a marketing stack, a tech stack, there is going to be something called a payment stack. And that's where stacks comes from. And that evolution from just being about that small business and the merchant, which that's where we started, but that journey has evolved into being the payment stack for small business, large business, and SaaS companies worldwide. Hey, this is your host, Greg Myers, and I'd like to take a quick minute to thank American Express for being the sponsor of the Women Leaders in Payments Month. American Express is a globally integrated payments company that provides customers with access to products, insights, and experiences that enrich lives and build business success. Again, thank you, American Express. And now back to the show. As a leader of a fast-growing company, raised a lot of money, I'm sure hiring at a high rate of speed, what are some of your guiding principles? Oh, I love this question. I would say it's our core values of the company that actually have not changed since day one. And they are just embedded in every single thing that we do. Number one, and it's funny, there's been so much evolution of the company, but this is where we refuse to change, which is... Our guiding principle, which is getting shit done. That was like the number one core value of the company. There is no job, big or small. We all really operate with, it's hyper growth. It's really fast. We call ourselves a rocket ship and you have to have that get shit done mentality. That is just plain honest truth. We're growing at thousand percent year over year. I mean, this kind of growth is hard and you have to, you know, you're around eight players. And so that mentality is definitely something that we have as a company. Number two, it's one team. And this kind of goes back to the value-based household that my brother and I grew up in. It's a familial business. Like our team is our family and we kind of operate as this one team unit. We're about 200 strong now, but this core value of never seen an organization that truly values team over self. It doesn't matter if it's in sales, marketing, technology, product the entire company really operates with a one team mentality. 
And then lastly, which all of this kind of ties back to, because you can't have one of these core values without the other, it's creating joy. And this was something that I was lacking in working for my previous companies. And I never felt like I went to work with that purpose that I was telling you about earlier, Greg, the mission centric that I felt I was part of something bigger than just myself. And I was making an impact and really creating joy, not just for our customers, but really creating joy for each other as a team. I want to walk in through those elevator doors every day and feel like I'm happy to be at work. And we're creating joy for our team. We're creating joy for our vendors, our partners, just anybody who comes in contact with Stacks, just having that really, we call the best damn experience. And so that is something that is a core value of ours as a company. And so those three things have really been our guiding principle from day one. And it's incredible to see us seven years later with those exact three things. And it's not just a core value that's written on the wall. It's something that we actually do live and practice each and every day. So this next question is kind of two parts. I think I know the answer to the first part, but I'm going to ask it anyway, is who inspired you along the way and why? That's part one. And then part two is, do you have mentors today? Did you have mentors in the past? Do you have mentors today? So talk about who has inspired you and why. Yeah, I think that there are many people that have inspired me along the way. And I think you say, I think you know who. It's definitely my family. I'm obviously very passionate about my family and just their background and where my parents came from is absolutely nothing and what they sacrificed. And I don't take that lightly. I'm standing on the shoulder of giants and it's something that I want to ensure that we continue to carry on and make a really big impact because there was a lot of sacrifices that it took to allow us opportunity to really just be anything we want to be. So I would say that my parents' journey is definitely very inspiring for myself. And I do have many mentors and I wish I had more female mentors. That is something that I do wish that I wasn't like, there aren't a lot of women. I didn't know Greg, that you can even build a billion dollar business. Like I didn't even know that this is possible And the unicorn is on the horizon for us. And it's really exciting. And now that's one of the reasons why I share my journey so publicly. You know, I have a podcast as well. It's called CEO School because I didn't go to CEO school. And I never saw that women could go build businesses this big. And I didn't know that there was so much potential in the scale that I had for the company, how to raise venture capital. I didn't go to CEO school. And so I definitely had to have mentors along the way. And one of my mentors, I don't know if you've ever interviewed him, you may have, is Asif Ramji. He is an executive at FIS and chief product officer. And he was the CEO of Paymetric. His company was acquired by Vantive and then WorldPay. And then he was a WorldPay exec to an FIS exec. And he has just been part of our journey from pretty much day one. And we got connected in a really strange way, I guess stars aligned. And he really did take Sal and I under his wing to help mentor and shape us, particularly not only as executives, but particularly in the payment space and has really just become a dear friend. So that is one of my mentors that has really contributed to the success of Stacks. Okay. I have not interviewed him, but it sounds like someone that I should reach out to. Absolutely. Okay. What is one or multiple characteristics that you believe every woman leader should possess? I think a characteristic that every leader should possess, whether woman or not, and that's what I think we have to change, is just being authentic to who you are. I've definitely seen as a woman in business and being in a male-dominated industry in always being the only woman in rooms full of men 
that sometimes we feel like we have to fit in into a mold that we're not. And I always like to say, I'm not a man in a skirt. And so I want to be who I am. I want to feel authentic in my leadership, in my style and lean into that versus trying to lean into any sort of masculine energy or needing to be a certain way or talk a certain way. And sometimes we as women are expected to be that way or we're deemed as weak. And I've seen that happen multiple times in my career. And I've watched this through other careers of women in leadership as well. And so something that I would say, whether you're a woman or a man, and if you are in a leadership position, it's so important for you to really be your authentic self. And great leaders are made, they're not born. And you can have all different types of traits to be a leader. There isn't a defined track of what a leader should be like. And so stop shitting all over yourself and just be who you are. I love that. So what are you doing to continue to grow and develop yourself as a leader? That's a really great question. I think that this is a journey. Every day I show up for a job that's bigger than the one I had yesterday, every single day. And so I think it's so important for us to be investing in our continual growth and development. And some of the ways that I do that is I have a coach. And so that is something that we have in our organization that I lean heavily on to ensure that I'm, there's just levels of self-awareness and listening and just understanding yourself and just self-development. So I'm really focused on my self-journey and just being a happier person. And I think that when you are a happier, mentally stable, just grateful person and you lead a happy life and it's continuous work to do that, it helps you in the relationships that you have in and outside of work. And so I think that contributes to being a great leader. And so that's the kind of growth that I'm focused on doing is just working on myself, listening to podcasts and reading books and practicing mindfulness and taking rest is also part of this journey of growth. And so I think those are the things that I'm trying to ensure that not only do I do, but that our company has these values for our leaders to also self-develop and grow. And part of this podcast series is really to help those who maybe are at the mid-level or maybe just even starting their careers and they're in payments or maybe even outside of payments, but they're in a role that maybe is growing. Maybe they don't manage people, but maybe they're about to, or maybe they do have small teams and they're going to take on larger teams. So what kind of advice would you give to what I kind of call the next generation of female leaders? What would you tell them that they need to do to be successful? I would say that for the next generation of female leaders, there's definitely a few things that we need to do. And it is to just be bold and to ask for it, to go for it, to take the risk. I think one of the things that we do as women is we are perfectionists and that we're always self-doubting our own abilities. And we kind of create these stories in our head about our own competence to say that we need to have 100% perfection in these areas. If you look at some of the statistics around job descriptions and women even applying for positions and they feel like they don't have the skill set, they're not going to apply even if they have 95% of the skill set, whereas men may have 50% of the skill set and they feel very confident in their ability to get the job. And so I think that's definitely one of the things that holds us back is just the ability to just go for it and to take the risk and to take a bet on ourselves. And honestly, I was the last person to take a bet on me. And I look back at that and I would have obviously not be in the position that I am today, but that is something that I'm very, very passionate about is 
showcasing and highlighting that taking a risk is the only way to go for it. So take the risk, go for it, bet on yourself. You've absolutely got every single thing that it takes. And if he can, then so can you. You talked a little bit about this earlier, but I want to go back to it is looking at the payments industry as a whole. How do you think we're doing regarding having female leaders, whether that's CEOs, C-level executives, upper management? How do you feel we're doing there? And then what else could we be doing or should we be doing to make that better or sort of take it to the next level? I think if we ask ourselves, honestly, we're doing a really shitty job. We are not putting women, I mean, there's improvements being made, but if you look at the inequality in our pay gap as women, if you look at the inequality in board positions for women, if you look at the statistics of women in leadership positions, let alone C-suite positions, let alone CEO positions, there is a massive gap. And as a payments industry, I would like for us to be advocating more for women in business and helping rise women leaders up. And there's so much more that we could be doing as organizations and it's sponsoring women in the organization and it's mentoring women in our organization, actually recruiting actively for not only women in leadership, but also diverse women in leadership. And so it takes a lot of intention and it takes a lot of purpose to change this statistic And I think that we're working on it and things like this are really exciting that we get to have very specific women in payments podcasts and sharing our stories. But I think there's a lot more that we could be doing and it's on each and every single one of us to be doing more. This next question, I'm kind of stealing it from another podcast host by the name of Guy Raz, who hosts a podcast called How I Built This. If you haven't heard it, it's an amazing podcast. But he asked this question, which I think is very interesting, is how much of your success do you attribute to hard work versus luck? I would say it's 99% hard work and 1% luck. I think that there is a perfect conundrum of hard work meets opportunity, meets the right time in the right industry with the right product fit with a little bit of luck. And then when that magic happens, this is where you can go build a billion dollar business. And I do think that we were blessed with that opportunity with all of those right things. I do believe that the harder you work, the luckier you get. And so hard work is the shortcut. And so there's no workaround around it. Well, we've covered a lot of ground today. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? No, I would say that thank you for having me. This has been a very exciting episode. I appreciate you guys highlighting women in business and women in payments in particular. And I'm just a huge advocate for this. So continue to support and take a look at your organizations to see what we can be doing better and even supporting women-owned businesses and buying from more women-owned businesses. And so I think it's an exciting time and I appreciate you having me on. This has been super, super fun, Greg. And if you guys need to learn more about Stacks, you can head over currently right now to fatmerchant.com and it will be stackspayments.com in the near future. We are completing this rebrand by the end of the year. So I'm very, very excited about Stacks and the future of our growth. Well, congratulations for everything you've accomplished and wish you the best of luck in your goals and just wanted to thank you for your time. I know you're very busy and your time is very valuable. So thank you again for being here. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate it. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. 
Follow us at CEO School on Instagram for show notes, inspiration, and exclusive behind the scenes that you won't find anywhere else. We also have an absolutely incredible resource for you. It's the seven lessons we learned building million dollar businesses. These are complete game changers and we want to give it to you absolutely free. All you have to do is leave a review of the podcast, why you love the show, screenshot the review and email it to hello at ceoschoolpodcast.com and we'll send it your way.